What's up, guys? I'm going to talk college football with Trent and Alec. Going to talk about the super conferences, potentially. We're going to talk about UM, FSU, state of college football. Is Notre Dame going to go to the Big Ten or not? Uh, what's up, Alec and Trent? Yo, yo. Happy to be here once again. Thanks yeah, for having me. Yeah, man. Us. No problem. Uh, you guys know college football more than basically anyone else I know, so uh, better to talk to you guys about it. So, um, some big news uh, in the last couple of weeks. Mario Cristobal got some big recruits coming in, a uh, couple five stars. Um, a lot of people are happy. For one, Francis Goa, I guess his name is, if I'm pronouncing it right, offensive tackle, five star. Uh, we also got Jaden Wayne from, uh, you know, an edge. Uh, he's been playing pretty well in high school, and he's also five star, four star, wherever, whatever site you look at. And then uh, earlier today, they just got Ryu Aguirre. Um, another four and a half star prospect. So uh, good times for the U. Uh, uh, Trent, let's start with you. What do you think on those moves and what Cristobal is doing? Yeah, I uh, I think everybody for the most part, no one's really surprised just because he, he, you know, Mario has the reputation of being the recruiter that he is. Um, but, you know, from what I'm seeing, this may just be the tip of the iceberg in terms of the summer. Um, you know, Wayne is great. Francis uh, Maigo is great. Um, you know, Raul Aguayo, who they got today, is another great linebacker. But, you know, there's a great chance they, they grab another, a better, you know, four or five-star linebacker, Malik Bryant, later this month. There's a, they have a good chance of landing Joel Noguero, who's a five-star safety. A great chance of landing Samson Okanola, Okanola who's a five-star offensive tackle, who's probably the top of their board. Um, you know, it's just there's a lot of guys that, you know, that they that, – you could see in a Miami hurricane uniform the next, you know, couple of years. And you're just not used to that, you know, for, you know, over the last, my whole life, you know, the last two decades, you just don't see UM recruited that kind of level where they're just nabbing five stars and high four stars and all these offensive linemen. It's just, it's, it's unheard of. So I think Mario's come in, he's done the right things. Uh, I think right now the biggest test is going to be if he can translate it on the field, on the field. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people have the same, uh, you know, questions as you do. Look, uh, Crystal Ball is a great recruiter. Uh, he's very well known for his recruiting, but obviously his coaching on the field uh, speaks for itself sometimes, what he's been doing the last couple of years. Not great results, you know, good results. Uh, finished first a couple of times in his division, but uh, it's gotten blown out in some big games, particularly against the Utah Utes. Uh, so hopefully you can turn it around here at UM and uh, coach better. But um Alec, what's your take on this UM team and what they've been doing recently? Well, I think the excitement's at an all-time high, um, and rightfully so. I mean, I think now more than, like Trent said, in the last 20 years or so, uh, the Canes fans probably have the most reason to be optimistic. You got um, a big-name coach, big-name recruiter coming in. I do have to say I kind of disagree with Trent uh, regarding, you know, not seeing this level of recruiting you know, over 20 years, I think that they've been able to pull top guys over the years with different head coaches. Um, some of them who were able to do really well, um, like your Tracy Howards and your Chad Thomases. Um, I know that this was, you know, not in any recent history, but we've, we've seen these moves in the past um, where a new coach comes in. There's a lot of momentum. There's a lot of reason for people to want to come to play to at Miami. Um, Trent knows this. We talk about this all the time, but 
at the end of the day, you got to win games. You got to have results on the field if you want to retain these recruits because yeah. come February, it could be a completely different ball game. Um, but yeah, I mean, they got some great pulls over this last week. I think they're probably the hottest team in recruiting over this last couple of weeks or so. So we'll see if they can keep that rolling. Um, but overall, yeah, I think that Canes fans are uh, have every reason to be optimistic. Yeah. Uh, I, if, if I can interject my rebuttal to what Alec was saying, um, in 2008, Miami had the number one class in the country uh, with, with Randy Shannon. It might have been Randy Shannon's first year as, as the head coach. And that was because he landed like half of the Northwestern team, Northwestern High School. <laughs> You know, it was John Spence, Darius Johnson, Marcus Forston, et cetera. Um, the difference between that now is that this is – it's nationwide recruiting. Jaden Williams from Washington State, uh, Francis Maguas from America Samoa, uh, Aguirre is from Georgia, uh, Jaden uh, Rashada is from California. It's just – it's everywhere. And he's grabbing four stars, five stars from all over the map, guys that normally, you know, would never come to South Florida uh, – and just extremely high caliber players. So no, I mean, and to have, you know, we've probably got four or five commits in July alone with more coming on the way. I mean, I, certainly UM's never seen a month like this in my lifetime, um, or at least since I started following recruiting. Um, and it's just like, we're getting an, another top prospect every every other week, every week or so, or almost every five days. So um, this is this is uncharted territory for UM as yeah. of now. Uh, well said. Um, I think a lot of Canes uh, fans are uh, on your side on that one. Um, let's talk about uh, this year in particular. Look, I think UM has a lot of hype because they have a quarterback that a lot of people believe in, potentially even the number one pick, depending on how he plays this year uh, overall. And Tyler Van Dyke, uh, there's a lot of um, you know noise with him uh, based off how he finished the season last year. Uh, Trent, what's your uh, expectations for Tyler Van Dyke? You think it's going to be all noise, or you think he's actually going to uh, perform well and uh, potentially be a top five pick and uh, take this team to another level? I don't think it's all noise, but I would still be, op- you know, cautiously optimistic of Van Dyke. Obviously, he had his moments last year. You know, he threw for three hundred plus yards for you know five or six straight weeks. I forgot the number, but he definitely showed moments where you know, it gave you reason to be, to kind of pump the brakes a little bit. You saw the first half against FSU. He kind of just looked rattled and could not get a rhythm, um, making terrible decisions. You know, he, he had some spotty decision-making throughout the season. So he's definitely got the arm talent. And when he's on, he's a, he's really as good as anybody. But again, that's, you don't know if he's going to be able to bring that every single game next year. Um, yeah. So I, I think he has the potential to be really great, but I would not be so sold on that just yet um yeah. I, I would like to see him be able to carry that into the into next season especially against texas a&m which is week three if you can see him kind of be that van dyke that you saw at the end of the year against texas a&m then you have probably great reason to think that he's gonna he's gonna you know potentially have a heisman campaign yeah um that's a big game week three against texas a&m that's when the season's really going to start for this team uh i agree uh, is there any particular players this season on UN that you're looking forward to? I know uh, Cyrus Moss is getting a lot of noise here, uh, but anyone particularly for you? Um, the safety room, I'd say James Williams, Avante Williams, and Cameron Kitchens. Um, yeah. I think James Williams is just like one of the biggest freaks I've ever seen. <laughs> um, and he definitely, definitely one of those high caliber players that you're seeing us get now, but, you know, Manny Diaz was able to get him somehow. 
but uh, I think James Williams is on track to have, you know, a really, really big breakout year just because of how uh, physically capable he is and how talented he is. And the same goes for Avante Williams. He's the same deal. He was the number two safety in this class coming out of high school. He's, he's a ball hawk and he'll also knock your head off. So um, I would expect big, uh, big season from the safeties this year. All right. Um, yeah, you heard it here from first from Trent. Um, Alec, anything else you want to mention on uh, Kane's football and guys you're optimistic to see maybe uh, anyone that intrigues you? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm really – I'm a Florida State fan, so I'm taking this kind of discussion more – I'm taking it more to the debate floor. So I kind of want to counter some of the things that Trent was saying. First of all, um, <laughs> Van Dyke, I, I am convinced that this guy is – a real deal quarterback who would be able to succeed at the pro level um, and potentially do really well. Like Trent said, um, as a, you know, freshman coming in unexpected uh, when they had their go-to quarterback, who was basically a a big part of their offense, Derek King go down um, to have Van Dyke come in and kind of fill that mold and honestly, you know, perform better in the passing game. Um, it goes a long way. But the main difference, I think, between this year and last year is you have a completely different regime in place. Um, last year, they had Rhett Lashley, who's arguably one of the best offensive minds in college football. Yeah, who calling, left SMU, by the way. Uh, yeah, head coach now. calling the plays, and they had a really high-caliber, high-passing um, offense, and it seemed to work really well. Like Trent said, I think it was seven or eight games straight that Van Dyke had to close the season out, I'm pretty sure, with 300 yards or more. So I'm not saying that he's not going to do just as well, if not better, this year. It's just I don't know if he's going to have the same amount of opportunity to shine that he did last year. I know that they brought in this guy, Josh Gaddis, from Michigan. Um, I know that that Michigan – had a pretty solid offense last year, but it's very run-heavy offense. And you have Mario Cristobal kind of had that. He's he's got the, you know, um, know, run run it down the throat kind of uh, mentality. He's an offensive line guy. And um, I know that at Oregon they had uh, run-heavy offenses as well. And even with Justin Herbert, uh, when he was there, (laughs) we're seeing now as one of the – uh, you know, up and coming best quarterbacks in the pros. I think that he was underutilized when he was there. So from a quarterback position, um, I, I don't think that he's going to have the same opportunity, like I said, uh, that he did last year, but I think he's going to be there when the team needs him to. And if, if he's the guy that you need to balance out the offense, I think that's a great guy to be uh, in that position. So I, I think that, I don't know if it's smart to compare last year's Michigan team and last year's Oregon team, just because both those teams quarterbacks weren't very good. I didn't think Oregon's quarterback was good at all. Um, and I think. Yo, can you guys hear me? So, uh, as I was saying, uh, Oregon QB, you know, last year wasn't very great. Mario, not saying that he would have done it regardless, but, you know, kind of had to be a run first team with Oregon. 
Um, Michigan almost, you know, Michigan probably had a better quarterback, but same deal. They had a great run game with a great offensive line. Um, so I don't think it's exactly very fair to compare, you know, those two teams to Miami this year, just because Van Dyke is head over heels better than those two quarterbacks. Um, but so long, as long as they can keep the offense balanced, like I don't mind the offense being run first, as long as it's effective. Um, and it can open up the passing game for Van Dyke. Um, I just think me and I can probably speak for most Canes fans that, you know, you don't want to see a super run heavy team, um, especially when you got a guy like that behind center that can sling it, you know, 60 yards with the flick of a wrist. So, yeah, um, I also think it's important uh, for one of the, uh, one or two of the receivers to step up last year. They had Charleston Rambo, Mike Harley Rambo made a bunch of plays. Uh, you know, he was basically the savior of the offense a bunch of times making huge catches you know, back shoulder catches. Um, and Miami's got a bunch of young guys like uh, Romello Brinson, Xavier Restrepo, uh, Keyshawn Smith, plus some true freshmen coming in. Um, you know, it, someone's got to start making plays um, because, and I did not see that in the spring game. I know it's a spring game, but, you know, I was hoping to see some of that and you didn't. So someone's going to have to step up to be that main guy for Van Dyke this year in order for this offense to be successful. Yep. Uh, well, so I do think that the, the Justin Herbert comparisons to when uh, he was there at Oregon, uh, Mario Cristobal and him, it, it is true that, uh, you know, he didn't really use Herbert the right way, but that's more of also the offensive coordinator at the same time. And then obviously Alex said that he's now one of the promising young talents in the NFL. So we'll definitely see what he does of uh, Tyler Van Dyke this season. Um, one last thing on UM, they were very close to getting a five-star wide receiver, Jalen Brown, but he committed to LSU. Uh, there's reports that it's not over yet. The chase is still going on. And uh, depending on how UM does this season and LSU finishes, uh, there's always a chance they can get them uh, next year. Um, any other uh, news and notes on UM, guys? Um, as far as Jalen Brown, I, I do think that recruitment will go down to the signing day. Uh, but on the other hand, I think UM is going to absolutely turn the heat on. Hakeem Williams was a four-star, borderline five-star receiver it goes to Stranahan Stranahan Stran I don't know if that's Stranahan um but he's just like an absolute freak he's like 6'2 6'3 you know freakish athlete freakish athlete can get up go get any ball he wants can get open great route runner great hands um I believe FS he's high on FSU's boards as well and that's gonna be a huge battle you know for Miami FSU Texas A&M any school that wants him um but I think he's he's the main receiver target for Miami right now, even, even before Brown committed, I think Williams was the number one guy. Interesting. All right. Um, let's go talk about FSU for a bit. Alec, um, what are your expectations for FSU? Um, who's going to start a quarterback you think? And uh, what do you just overall, what do you think is going to happen? Any recruits you guys got in the last couple of weeks or uh, months that uh, you're excited to see? Yeah. So in general, um, you know, things haven't been so great for the Knowles over the last five years or so. Um, kind of, I remember when we were starting to trend down, thinking, man, we really got to pick this up or we're going to be screwed. Because once you start losing, losing over multiple years, you stop bringing in talent and then you're stuck with bad talent. Um, so I, I, I think from an FSU fan's perspective, what I can tell you is that um, – we're probably expecting a lot uh, this year, maybe expecting more than what Vegas is expecting us to do <laughs> just because um, 
if not, then we're going to need to make some serious changes uh, moving forward. You know, it's just within, within a span of 10 years to go from, you know, being nationally prominent to having multiple seasons, missing bowl games and, you know, fighting to have a 500 record. It's just kind of not what we've, we're, we're used to. I know Miami's been used to it for 20 something years or so, but we're not really used to it. So we're hoping um, to get things turned around. As far as Norvell goes, uh, personally, I'm a big fan of his. Um, I think he's a great guy to have leading a team. You know, he's all about integrity and working hard. And compared to Willie Taggart, who was our last head coach, it's like night and day uh, as far as the, the motivation that you see um, coming out of the players, the people who did want to stay and play for him. Um, you know, they talk about how much better it feels to be working hard and to be trying to build back the team. So I think he's sending the right message, but we just really haven't been able to catch a break. Um, and we're going to need to do that this year. So we play first week of the season. We play LSU in the Sugar Bowl. Um, I'm going to be there. I got tickets to that game. I believe Trent will be there as well. Cause he's a secret FSU fan under <laughs> and, former uh, alumni. Yeah, exactly. It's anyway, that's the discussion for another time. But, um, you know, you're talking about Jalen Brown. I think if FSU goes in there and kicks Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly's teeth in, in the sugar bowl, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he might you know, abandon ship. Uh, I think that's just the case with a lot of players in college. I mean, football. I think me and I would both agree. Brian Kelly is a bum. Yeah, uh, but, <laughs> I mean, no, you know, I don't think he's a bum. I think he's a great coach. It's just like, I know that Mike Norvell's got his number and he's been coming for him. We played Notre Dame the last two years and we gave him a run for their money. Um, both times had close games this past year, went to overtime uh, and we lost by a field goal. I was at that game as well. Heartbreak. But um, anyway, I'm, I'm going off on a rant. There's a lot to say about the Knowles, but realistically we have to make a bowl game and we have to beat our rivals. Um, if not, then we're probably looking at, um, you know, moving in another direction head coach wise and just organizationally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well said. Uh, look, Mark, Mike Norville is a really good coach, was a really good coach at Memphis. Um, some FSU fans are very frustrated with the first year. I think the Jacksonville State loss was a big uh, was a was a big shake for a lot of fans. Uh, they they were calling it quits after that game. But you guys turn it around at the end of the season pretty well, and uh, you guys have a bigger expectations this year. Uh, like you said, I think it's important to keep on track and stay in a bowl game. But Trent, is there anything you want to say in FSU? I mean, look, as a Miami fan, uh, I am I never count out FSU, especially when they play UM. It's the greatest rivalry in football. Um, it's a toss-up usually every single year. You could be the best team in the, in the nation, and your opponent could be garbage, but it's going to be a toss-up still. I remember uh, FSU had Jameis, and UM had uh, maybe a young Brad Kaya, and that game came down to the last drive, and FSU won. So, I mean, I, I, I always think FSU is a threat. In terms of Norvell, I think he's actually a pretty good coach. Um, I think that it's just he's in a really tough situation because patience at a school, at a program like FSU can can run a little thin. Um, and he, he doesn't exactly have the roster that a school like FSU is accustomed to, especially coming off, you know, the decade that they had. 
Um, and, you know, Jimbo left the biggest mess, you know, in that, you know, it, it's just unfortunate. Like it's, he, he left them with, with the garbage. So, um, you know, Norvell, yeah, Jacksonville State was a bad loss, but he's, you know, still able to get some, some nice recruits to, to be able to go to FSU. And I think that's a telling sign considering, you know, you're still able to pull a five-star and great four-stars after losing to Jacksonville State. Like that's, that's big. And that says a lot about Norvell. And not making a bowl game. Yeah, didn't make a bowl game. Really, not a good year. They beat they beat UM, but it was it's still a very subpar year. Yeah, um, and he's still able to get these guys to come in. So, uh, I think Norvell, it, you know, I, he hasn't shown me that he's not the guy for the job. The only problem is, is that you know, if he has another year where they don't make a bowl game or it they could lose be in trouble, them, yeah, it could he he could get let go, and I think that's unfair to him, but just the reality of the situation. Yeah, that's college football, man. Um, expectations at big schools. Um, all right, so that's FSU talk. Uh, now let's get into the the big news in college football. Uh, where do we even start? Let's let's uh, talk about USC and US, UCLA going to the Big Ten. Um, that was big news over the weekend. Basically, they got the LA market. Um, Alec, what's your take on that and uh, how college football shaping out so far? I think it's great for business. Uh, it's not necessarily great for the sport. Um, but you know what, man? This is America, and uh, we're trying to capitalize as much as possible. So you just got to roll with the tides. I know from um, my perspective and from Trent's perspective, both of our schools are kind of sitting ducks right now in this conference realignment. And um, it's basically out of – it's out of the school's hands. It's up to these mega conferences now to decide yeah. if they want to add them in, <laughs> you know, if eventually it comes down to there just being two conferences and any team that's left out of those two conferences is going to be seriously um, in. Essentially, I think that, um, it's going to be great if you're a fan watching football, tuning in every week uh, moving forward. But, you know, we're seeing one one thing after another um, happening that is just the integrity of the sport uh, is kind of being diminished. You know, it's the reason why I love college football so much is, you know, these guys aren't playing for money. Historically, they weren't. And um you come out there, you got four years to prove yourself, and then you're out of there. So there's a lot of passion. There's a lot of pride, and um, everyone's out to prove themselves. You're introducing the money, and now you're cutting out all these other teams that don't have enough viewership from being able to compete. I just think more and more you're seeing, you know, a closer – the league turn into something closer to what the NFL is, which, you know, I don't like. But, again, it's going to be entertaining. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of fans resonate with you, man. I think uh, that was part of why a lot of people like college football. No money, just straight football play, guys who want to play. And, uh, yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. Trent, what about you? I mean, yeah, there's plenty of money to go around, especially with the super conferences. A lot of, a lot of programs are going to make a lot of money. I wouldn't exactly worry about Miami and FSU. I think they're two attractive programs that will find their way into one of these big conferences, no problem. But that's one thing. But as a fan and as a viewer and as someone who's watched college football my entire life, Alec as well, um, you know, you, you just, it's not something you want to see. I don't think it's very attractive to us. 
Um, I think the traditional Power Five conferences is the best way to go about this um, from a viewership standpoint. Um, it's the most fair, it's the most, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then the NIL is almost secondary to that, but it's still, it's such a big deal. It's yeah, such it's a big deal everything. that, it, you know, the landscape of college football is completely different than what it used to be. Now is, you know, a lot of these guys is working to get the most money. Um, and while I agree that college football players do deserve to, you know, make money, you know, for their name, image, and likeness, it's just, it's just getting out of hand now. And I think it needs to be regulated, yeah. um, it needs to be capped out at a certain point um, because it's now it's so many teams like FSU are, are at a disadvantage now because they may not have as much money as the UMs, the Bamas, the UGAs, the Texas A&M, and they're going to suffer from First it. First of all, the value, you know, the value of the program, maybe the donors are there, but I think that Florida State is up there with Florida and some of these other big schools as far as like the value of the team. So I'm not necessarily going to agree that, uh, you know, we're running short on money, but I will say that, um, you know, because we just so happen to not be at our best right now, when if this conference realignment happened five or 10 years ago, you know, we probably would have been in a great position. So yeah, it definitely hurts more considering the state of the team now. Mm -hmm. What do you mean the team value? The value of the program as a whole, like uh, the valuation of, you know, AM is the most valuable football program, Alabama, Ohio State. Like, I believe that uh, Florida and Florida State are up there. But you don't, but, but the FSU doesn't have that kind of money to shell out to prospects on a consistent basis. You think they do? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just I'm not, I'm not that's saying. What I'm, I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. Okay, okay, I misunderstood. No, but, no, FSU is is a is a the main the program. main problem of NIL. I think for a lot of people that are getting frustrated is you're it's people are using it to get players into school. The NIL was initially made for players that are already at the school to use their yeah, name, image, and likeness. That's, right. that's the problem. Now uh, you see, you know, for example, uh, John Ruiz, a, a special, you know, expensive attorney out here, is offering, you know, beamers and millions of dollars for 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 guys already on the team. But now they're using it. You see it in basketball already. They paid four hundred thousand a year for a guy to come from uh, Kansas State to here to play basketball. It's just it's taking over college football. It's changing everything. But it's better to be, you know, ahead of the time. So I'm not putting them down for doing that. And you're right. No, I don't think we have a big name guy. Maybe we call up the Spanx lady from Shark Tank. She went. <laughs> <laughs> went to FSU or the guy who invented uh, Dollar General. I think he's an FSU guy. <laughs> but you know, regardless, yeah, you're right. It, that there's no big name donors there. But as far as you know, re, uh, capacity, capital, and resources, you know, it, the losing over the last couple of years hasn't really put us at that much of a disadvantage because we were able to build the program up after the championship. And I mean, look, once these teams join, like for example, if if UM and FSU are they join the SEC and you know they just make a crazy amount of revenue a year because of these new SEC or TV deals or whatever you know that is also an influx of cash that could potentially you know get put into their NIL collective and you know eventually go to recruits or whatever so you know once the once these big conferences you know take place then you know it could be anyone's game but as of now for now you know Miami has all the cash now, apparently. And, you know, just like the Texas A&Ms of the world, 
And while schools like UF and FSU may have some cash, they just don't have that crazy budget like these other teams have that can just shell out as much as they want to recruits. And they're going to get negatively affected by that yeah. for now. Well said. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. Let's talk about uh, potentially where uh, I think what's going to happen now is Notre Dame is really basically everyone's going to follow them. So they're like the big factor. Do you guys see them going? The rumor is they're going to go to the big 10 and all, all these other teams are going to follow either going to the sec or to the big 10. But as Trent said, or Alex said too, uh, it's whoever, they have the power to invite whoever they want and kick out. Um, so what's, what do you think about Notre Dame potentially going to the big 10? Is that going to change anything? Finally joining a conference? Um, I guess I'll go. So um, I think, yeah, if they were going to go somewhere, it would make sense for them to go to the big 10, just geographically speaking, but they're, you know, they're, they, Notre Dame is sitting pretty. They don't necessarily need to join anywhere. Um, you know, they have the, the highest TV, everyone around the country watches Notre Dame football. There's a lot of Catholics in America. And, um, you know, if they do make that move, um, I don't necessarily, if they move to the big 10, I don't even think that the sec is going to have to scramble. I think that they're in a good position too. So I don't know about the whole Armageddon of teams, you know, fighting. And there was kind of some talk over the last uh, couple of weeks about it, but you know, it's a lot of work to do this expansion. And I think it makes sense maybe over the years, gradually adding a couple of teams here and there. I don't know if it's all going to happen you know, right now all at once. Yeah. Uh, Trent and I were talking earlier. This is probably going to happen over a course of a couple of years uh, down the road. But uh, as I was mentioning earlier to Trent, the rumors are that Clemson, Miami, potentially also FSU, and maybe North Carolina will go to the SEC. And then uh, Oregon, Washington will go to the Big Ten along with Notre Dame. And then um, whatever other team, basically, it's kind of screwed. Uh, maybe another couple teams get in one of those conferences. But uh, Trent, what's your take on all that uh, and what's what's you know going on in the next couple of years, most likely? Yeah, I mean, I think Notre Dame is definitely a, would be a domino effect of them joining the Big Ten. Um, I could totally see, you know, if, if these super conferences do end up aligning that UM and Clemson and FSU eventually join the SEC. Um, I, I know based off of information that I was able to gather that UM and Clemson have been pretty serious talks to join the SEC. Um, and, you know, if, if they were to come out with that, then, uh, you know, that they could move, you know, as soon as 2024, 2025. Um, obviously the big obstacle there is they'd have to buy out their ACC contract and their ACC network contract, which is, which you know, is huge. Yeah. Dollars. yeah. A large amount of money that they'd have to pay over a period of time. Um, but, you know, if these conferences align, then absolutely I, I can see UM, FSU, and Clemson leaving. They're the big names at the ACC, and they're going to be the more attractive programs for viewership, et cetera. So, um, you know, by 2025, 2026, I think is a real possibility that you see basically your two conferences, your Big Ten and your SEC. Um, they're going to be your absolute moneymakers and your powerhouses. And there are going to be teams that get left out. I mean, yeah. Uh, there's going to be like, for example, North, uh, Duke in North Carolina, you know, I can't really see them leaving the ACC just because of ACC is a powerhouse basketball conference and UNC and Duke are powerhouse basketball teams and programs. So 
maybe in Virginia as well. So it's going to be hard to see those guys leave the ACC. And, you know, they may get left out in terms of football revenue, but they're still going to make their bread in basketball. Um, but then you got the other programs, you know, the Nevadas of the world, you know, possibly Stanford, maybe the Washington States. Like, they may not get a ticket to the Big Ten or the SEC. And, and that's they're going to like. Yeah, that's uh, – I think that's why a lot of – I think this will change college football forever, obviously. But just – I think that's why a lot of college fans want to see – you know, conferences, and uh, if they don't get in, basically, what the hell is there to watch it for? Yeah, like right. you can win a couple, you know, 10 games a year, but not even have a chance of, to get a national championship. Right. Uh, or, right. Or, yeah. It's... You know, before, your conferences have automatic bids. Like, if you win the Pac-12, you go to the Rose Bowl. If you win the ACC, you go to the Orange Bowl. And I think that that's what fans want. They want their teams to have a shot at a, at a premier bowl game, at a premier New Year New Year's Six game. Um, or winning your conference can possibly leapfrog you into the college football playoff. And I think that's what every fan wants for their team. And, you know, with these two new conferences, that can kind of blow that all up. So I'm sure Alec has a similar take on it, but, you know, it's just – it's not what we're used to seeing. Yeah. Alec? Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. Um, I think uh... – what Trevor was saying about the basketball side of the ACC, he's right. I mean, it's, it is a premier conference, in my opinion. I know the Big Ten basketball has actually been pretty good over the last couple of years. But, um, you know, I don't know if it's the end-all, be-all. I do think that they – I don't think it would be right, and I don't think that they will automatically cut out the teams that are left out. But, it, it you know, from a rankings perspective, whoever's putting the votes in in the media, they're going to be watching the big games and the big conferences. So there's going to be a lot more bias towards these big conferences. And you see it already with the SEC, which is already the, the best conference. And you got a team with two losses who's got a shot to go to the national championship over an undefeated team in another conference. So you're going to see more of that. Um, I do think that Clemson, Miami, FSU, UNC uh, are definitely the premier teams in the ACC football-wise. So Trent said it earlier. Yeah, if there is going to be a big scatter for new conferences, I'm sure we'll be fine. But um, I I think you hit the nail on the head, Robert. We're going to change, and I don't think that we're ever going to go back to the the way things were. Uh, but that's just the way things go, and you got to, uh, you know, um, adapt and move forward. So Yeah, man. Uh, well said. Well, let's get to a happier note uh, to finish this off. What's um, some surprise teams you're looking forward to maybe thinking that's going to make some noise this year? Um, any players in particular that you're watching uh, that you are fascinated by, Trent? Um, you know, me and Alec kind of go out, have a conversation about this particular coach all the time, Lincoln Riley at USC. <laughs> Uh, Alec seems to think that Lincoln Riley may not be the greatest coach. I think he's pretty That's good. Bullshit. Okay, I, I'm just, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> no, okay. That, I'm not uh, going to uh, <laughs> throw some gasoline on that. Not fire, what man. I think. I just think that he's slightly overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Alec doesn't think that Lincoln Riley is a top five coach, which I disagree. Um, but I think USC is going to be really, really intriguing i don't know i don't know how great they're going to be but I, i'm i'm very intrigued by them with caleb williams obviously now lincoln Ryan transferring here what a shock um jordan addison who's arguably the best receiver in college football um and they got a they have a running back too i i it's i can't think of it now but they have a lot of you know studs on that team and with lincoln riley controlling that offense 
uh, you know, they, they can make, they can make a move. I honestly, I, they're my favorite to win the PAC 12. Uh, I know Oregon has Dan Lanning and they have some guys over there as well, but I, I, I would put my money on, on USC to win the PAC 12 this year. That certainly should be the expectation for them with Lincoln Riley as a coach. Now uh, Alec will be the first one to tell you that if he does not win the PAC 12, then it's a bust. Um, but I, I like, I, 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 I'm really intrigued to see USC this year. Yeah. Um, a, a little side note to USC. Look, they're obviously have a lot of hype this year. I mean, what they did is truly incredible. I mean, they got Lincoln Riley. They just got the quarterback from Oklahoma to transfer to USC who played on their Lincoln Riley. What a shock they get. They got him. Not really. Um, the issue is their defense. Uh, their defense is, is pretty bad. We'll see if it takes a big step this year. Offensively, we're not questioning that. So, to say they win, will win the Pac-12, I I think is a, there's a pretty decent chance, but I wouldn't give it you know, hundred percent chance there. But overall, um, I mean, Alec, I know you have something to say on USC, so just go ahead. Well, you know, I think yeah, they're definitely the the favorite to win their conference. It's just like I I don't know. Uh, as far back as I can remember, USC is hyped up every single season. And maybe they're in a good position now and they have a great coach and a lot of talent. But when you when you look at um, what Lincoln Riley's done with Heisman quarterbacks, multiple Heisman quarterbacks, you know, being able to win the Big 12 at Oklahoma, it's a great accomplishment. But, you know, on a national stage, I would have thought that with a Heisman quarterback, he should have been able to win a national championship, which he wasn't able to. So, like, these are the concerns that I have about him. I do, I'm not going to say that he's a bum coach. Uh, you know, I, I do call him a bum, but he's a great coach. I just don't, I just don't think that he's really proven um, himself to, to the fullest. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, uh, that they'll well, be, I mean, they'll, right. they're, they're going to win games, but, you know, Rightly so, though. I mean, he's been to the playoff, what, three times and got absolutely crushed all three times in the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you have Baker Mayfield and you have Kyler Murray, which which you absolutely need to win a national championship. With Kyler. Two number one overall picks, by the way. I don't understand how that doesn't happen. But, again, like, I, maybe I'm ranking okay. on too hard. Kyler Murray, he played – I was at the game. He played Alabama in the college football playoff, and he was never winning that game in a million years. Oklahoma never has a defense. Any Big 12 team never has a defense. Right, but they still put up 35 whatever points. Yes, on Alabama, which is crazy. Yeah, but then they gave up 50 whatever. But they couldn't stop Alabama. (laughs) I mean – You can't win that way. No, of course, really. But, I mean, to to say that – the fact that they're able to score that much in Alabama is, first of all, crazy. But, like I said, there's no defense in the Big 12. They were never going to win a title, especially with Alabama. Like, they can't get stops. They, They play no defense. Now at USC, hopefully the resources he's are greater. Now. If he can grab a defense, I forgot whose defensive coordinator is now. I know he grabbed, uh, I can't remember his name, but um, not Orlando. If he can, if he can actually put together a talented defense, like the sky's the limit. Yeah, Todd Orlando's a defensive coordinator there. Okay. Yeah, but you know, I, I think they'll be good. I, they're going to be up there. They're going to be probably in the playoff. They shouldn't have any competition now that uh, you know they got a new coach at Oregon. I mean, this guy uh, Dan Lanning's pretty solid from Georgia, so we'll see how well they can do. But you know, he the the it's got the the what do you call it? Golden brick road or whatever paved for him, paved for him. So he should be able to win. Um, but yeah, as far as you know, big name teams other than USC. 
Um, you know, going by the conferences, I really like Baylor and the Big 12. I love Dave Aranda. Uh, he's done great things everywhere he's gone. In his first year last year, I think they won 11 games in the regular season, whatever it was. So I like that in the Big 12. Um, I think that Penn State, they now have Manny Diaz, the defensive coordinator. So um, as much All as joking I, aside, very good defensive coordinator. As much as I love to rank on Manny Diaz, I think that that's going to be a good boost for them. I think he definitely has a chip on his shoulder, and we know what he was able to do as a, as a defensive coordinator before he was head coach at Miami. They had one of the best defenses in the country. I'm not saying that Penn State's going to be able to win a championship because James Franklin's their head coach. He's like a Lincoln Riley type, you know, blowing great <laughs> opportunities always. Plus, they have to get through Ohio State, and that's just not going to happen. So, um, I like that. ACC, I don't. I think that Clemson's going to crumble, personally. That's just my really bold prediction. Um, I think that this is the end for them. They've lost all their great coordinators over the years, and they don't have a good quarterback right now, in my personal opinion. So uh, there's a lot of room for, you know, other teams to pop up in the ACC. I know that this UNC has underperformed in the last two years, and maybe they could pick something up this year. You know, the, the path is there for Miami if they are going to take it. But then again, you know, you have a 7-5 and five team last year and essentially the same team this year with a new staff. So – We'll see how much they can improve on this year. Uh, but I think moving forward, Miami will definitely be up there yeah. and potentially this year as well. Um, FSU, you know, we'll see, but we already talked about them. Um, but overall, you know, I, I like, uh, I really like um, all those teams that I named yeah. out of those conferences. One team that I'm particularly interested in watching this year is Texas and Quinn Ewers and how he develops <laughs> under Steve Sarkeesian. <laughs> Um, I think that team has a chance to explode this season. We'll see. Um, Steve Sarkeesian has gotten a lot of hype. Didn't really do too well the first year. Uh, we'll see what he does this year. Got his big name quarterback, uh, number one prospect at one point in high school. The huge arm, huge talent. And he also just landed Arch Manning in a couple of years. So uh, we'll see what they are doing in Texas. Uh, big program, obviously. So a couple of uh, things I'll, I'll, I'll say. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll leave off with this. Yeah, go ahead. One, Texas. You know, Texas has a top 10 recruiting class every year. They're loaded with studs every single year, and they always underperform every single year. <laughs> last year, they were, you know, they're a talented team last year as well. They got, you know, they have a bunch of blue chip kids on their team. They still lost to Kansas. So I understand Quinn Ewers is a big deal, and Archman's coming in. They got a bunch of, you know, five stars, whatever. But I have zero expectation from Texas until they prove it on the field. <laughs> I'm, I'm expecting nothing from Texas. All right, we'll see. Next, I agree. I agree. Secondly, um, you know, Alec was talking about Manny Diaz. I do agree that Manny Diaz is a, is a great defensive coordinator. He was great at UM. I think he's a great for Penn State. Is a huge pickup for Penn State. Um, but this, the, I, I just saw something today, and it's just relevant uh, to uh, Aguirre because Aguirre committed today. Andrew Ivins, who is a big uh, national recruiting analyst for 247, used to work for on the Miami beat. He was Miami's 247 reporter. And Aguirre was at camp at UM while Manny Diaz was the head coach. And uh, some staffer, unnamed staffer, was watching Aguirre and was talking to Ivans and said, how is that kid ranked that high? And, and Ivans, was like, Ivans was like, are you serious, dude? <laughs> so that, that goes to show a lot about the, the, the Manny Diaz regime and how they evaluated talent. <laughs> so that's nice a little side that note funny. there. That, that was funny. 
Interesting. All right. Um, well, guys, before you go, I would be doing ourselves a disservice. Uh, who do you think is going to win the Heisman year? You have to choose it right now. Hmm. Oh, man. I'll uh, go first. I'll, uh, I'll take C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. I think he's wow. going to. Oh, man. Um, on the spot here. I'll say Caleb Williams. All right. Alec? Mm, That's a good one. Um, I I really don't want to. I really think. um, Bryce Young, maybe? No. I mean, I don't think he would win it back to back. I I do think that Caleb Williams is probably going to. Caleb Williams is probably going to put up um, the numbers moving forward uh, in USC. They're going to be throwing the ball over the field just like he did last year. Uh, it'll probably be a quarterback. Um, you know, who knows? Could be Van Dyke. Could be Jordan Travis at FSU. Watch out for Jordan Travis. Oh, I will say. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll go ahead and say Stroud. I'll go ahead and say Stroud as well. Yeah, okay. Hey, but you heard of here first, Jordan Jordan Travis for a potential well, sleeper. Uh, Let me tell you something. Um, you know, a lot of people, they haven't gotten to watch FSU a lot. You know, we haven't really won a lot of games. But Trent will be the first person to tell you that this guy is very hard to contain. And uh, we've been able to kind of fill in some spots on the O-line. Plus, we basically took all of Oregon's offense uh, who transferred to fsu oh no i i think Jordan. i think i think that uh you know he, he may you know come out firing if we could win this first game you know there might be some hype there i'm not saying he's gonna win the heisman but i'm just saying look out for him all right i don't, I don't think there's a better running quarterback in the country than jordan travis uh i think he's one of the most he's he's the slip he's so slippery like it's, it's so hard to tackle the guy he's, he's he's literally a running back his issue has always been throwing but in terms of running, he's 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 unbelievable the yards that he's able to get, um, especially when a pocket collapses. He's he's so hard to tackle, and even on design runs, yeah. he's just he's really hard to bring down. Alec, what's your prediction on uh, FSU's record? Um, well, I was taking a look at it, and uh, I'm gonna go, and this is a very bold prediction. Um, I'm going to say that uh, the Knolls are going to win nine games. Watch out for the Knolls. All right. Uh, Trent, what about you for uh, FSU? That is, that is bold. I mean, I wouldn't have said nine games because I think, you know, counting for margin of error. <laughs> what are we on here for? It's entertainment, right? So I'm telling you. Hey, you heard I, it here I'd first. Say UM, UM, you know, my honest take, not for views and listens, but my honest take for UM is eight to nine wins. Um, accounting for, you know, margin of error. I mean, it, I would say eight wins is not a not a great year. Uh, I think nine wins should be the floor for UM. I think that I have them losing to A and M and potentially UNC. I mean, they play Clemson at Clemson. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be as worried about UNC. I think they get UNC at home this year. They just I'd always be, struggle be, against them. I'd be much more concerned with FSU than UNC, even though they get both of those teams at home. FSU is just always a threat, like I said earlier, every single year. So that game is a toss up. So you know. I would say I'd say nine wins. You know, if they lose to FSU, Clemson, Texas A and M, um, so I'll say nine. All right. Yeah, like if I could just clarify, you know, this is what my heart is telling me, and I'm just gonna go for it. Uh, I re- I really think that, you know, we have the capacity this year more than we have before to put up a big season, but uh, as far as um, realistically and logistically speaking, 
we really have to win seven games at least. We have to be over 500. I personally wouldn't be happy with a seven and five season. Uh, it's just I've been waiting around too long for success. If we could win eight, I think that Norvell is secure, you know, moving forward. But um, the only way he could kind of pull it out, if he wins seven and we beat some rivals, I think that's good and we win a bowl game, you know, but it's like the slow progression is really not what we're looking for. We really need a big blow up year and, and it needs to be this year. All right. Well, guys, uh, that's all. Thanks for coming on. And uh, when the college football season starts, we're going to have you on a lot. Do basically our own version of college game day. <laughs> um, and, yeah, uh, thanks for coming on, guys. We'll be talking hey, college football you, soon. You know where to find me. Thanks yep. for having us, man. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, now I'm joined by Jason Perea to talk about the big news of Donovan Mitchell um, uh, coming out of Utah. Woj uh, reported it today. And uh, what's up, Jason? What's going on, Robert? How are you doing? Yeah, man, some uh, obviously big news in the NBA. Um, let's start with uh, Donovan Mitchell, man. Let me uh, read the tweets from uh, Wojnowski and uh, so we can give the fans at home uh, what he said, and then we'll just react. So... Um, Wojnowski on Twitter wrote, after previously shutting down injuries or inquiries on moving all-star guard Donovan Mitchell, rival teams say the Utah Jazz are showing willingness to listen on possible trade scenarios. Jazz general manager Justin told reporters in a recent interview, changes in inevitable in the NBA, things evolve in the NBA, so I couldn't sit here and say anybody is quote-unquote untouchable. There's no intent to trade Mitchell at all, but the Jazz are open to a trade across the entire roster too, but Mitchell is certainly the organization's most valuable and coveted asset. So, Jason, after you see this on Twitter, and uh, basically this is kind of a woge bomb here, what's uh, your reaction to that? I mean, I kind of suspected it coming. I didn't think the Jazz were going to stand packed the whole season. I thought they were going to wait, you know, a little bit, see what the playing field was going to be like for the other teams and see what people are offering and kind of just go from there. But um, it looks like, you know, they're trying to feel, you know, pretty much do a whole rebuild, you know, after the whole uh, Rudy Gobert trade and all that stuff like that. But I'm pretty surprised, honestly, I would say in a whole, because it seems like they were trying to stand back a week ago and now it just comes out of nowhere. But I mean, if they're going to try and get a good deal, they're going to get a good deal. And now's the time. So, yeah. Um, look, well said. I remember we were on previous podcasts. We were talking about Donovan Mitchell and um, the word around the league and around just NBA Twitter and everything going on who follows the sport uh, basically was we think the Jazz are going to stand pat maybe to the all star break and try to trade them then. They have the all-star game there. They want to represent someone there. And also Jazz are not 100% sure what they're going to do. But now with this Pacers news coming out that uh, DeAndre Aiden is most likely going to go to uh, the Pacers. Um, yeah, the Jazz are kind of in a tough spot here. They have obviously have a young superstar in Donovan Mitchell, but they're obviously rebuilding because they just traded away. Gobert and got a multitude of first-round picks. They traded Royce O'Neal recently to the Nets. Um, those are moves you don't make if you want to contend. So, um, the real question is here, Danny Ainge, look, he is notoriously famous for big, big trades. Uh, he always gets hauls. He always does really well in deals. Um, and with that said, I think the two contenders to really get Donovan Mitchell are the Knicks and the Heat and, uh, all buys aside, I think the Heat have a real shot to get this guy. Jason, what do you think of the Heat's chances of getting him are? And what do you think the type of package it's going to take to get him? I mean, I agree with you for sure. When it comes to the two teams, you named there, the Knicks and the Heat those are probably the two that would jump out the most as having the most to offer. And like, that would have the most um, ability to pry it away, I think from Utah. 
But I think when it comes to the Heat's package, um, it's going to be looking something. Obviously, Hero's going to be involved with some picks and um, probably Robinson, maybe, um, you know, a person like Yurtsevin or even somebody like Struis as well, because they, you know, they want to be on the rebuild side and just need some shooters and things. But since they lost Gobert, I think they'll go for some bigs and Yurt seems to kind of fit that as well. But something along those lines, because they're definitely going to try and get a haul, like how the Nets got a big haul for Kevin, or not the Nets, um, the um, Utah Jazz got a big haul for uh, Gobert, and also how the Nets want to get a big haul for Kevin Durant. Yeah. Um, look, I think it's going to take something like uh, maybe, worst case, three first-round picks, probably two, but maybe three. I think it's going to obviously cost Tyler Harrow and Duncan Robinson. I think uh, if that's not going to satisfy them, I think Pat Riley will throw in Max Struess. And as you said earlier, they lost a big, they, they, they need Yurtsevin, but I think the guy they really want to get is Jovic from um, the Miami Heat, who they just drafted. They have to wait 30 days to get that done. Now it's down to 20 since he signed his contract. But I think something around that would get it done. Um, they get a lot of young assets and a lot of first round picks for the future to build off. So that would total eight first round picks. They just got this year from the Gobert trade as well. So that would be a pretty good rebuild. And obviously you have Tyler Harrow, who's, a young transcending player and he's only getting better just one six man of the year. So um, yeah, I think the heat have what it takes to get it done. It's just the only issue really is the history between Pat Riley and Danny Ainge. They're obviously not best friends. What do you think about that issue? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think, you know, as we always see, even past times when Pat Riley was trying to trade with the Boston Celtics at times to get players, it was always like a cat and mouse game where they were trying to just, you know, kind of mess with each other and go back and forth and, Danny Ainge is trying to pretty much just finesse the most he could out of Pat Riley. Um, so, I mean, we'll have to see what happens, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, it looks like Mitch is going to be on the move and most likely he's going to have a little bit of say where he goes, I think. And it seems like Miami's his number one target. Yeah. Um, in case you guys don't know, it's very uh, notoriously famous that um, Bam and, and Donovan Mitch are really good friends. They uh, work out together. They hang out together in the off season. It's one of his close friends in the NBA. Um yeah, it's going to be interesting. Let's uh, shift it to uh, the KD situation today. So there's reports that uh, Andy Alsberg, the assistant GM with Pat Riley, went to dinner with the GM for um, the Brooklyn Nets, Sean Marks, um, and they're, quote-unquote, exhausting all options to get KD. Uh, before this news came out about Mitchell, I, I do believe the Heat are trying to acquire him. I just am under the personal belief, look, no one's questioning that KD is the better player at this moment. He's top three player in the league. Um, the problem with acquiring such a player like Kevin Durant is he's 34 years old and you got to win now. Um, yeah, you fit Jimmy's uh, timeline, but in regards to Bam Adebayo, he's still young. Um, that's why I think that he should go all out and get a Donovan Mitchell because for a couple of reasons, one, he's 25 years old. He's about the same age as Bam. So that's a foundation you have for the next five to seven years and you maximize Jimmy Butler's prime. Uh, still. So that's why I think they should go on. But what's your take on the KD? And uh, do you believe the rumblings at all? Uh, I mean, I definitely think the, the rumblings have some truth to them. I mean, it's not going to be said for nothing. But I think uh, at the end of the day, like you said, like there, I mean, he's KD is the older person there. He's not like you're not denying he's one of the best basketball players in the world when he is healthy. And even though he's coming off that injury history, you know, anyone will do anything to get him. But I think in the Heat's point of view, it just makes more sense to target the younger star, the guy who can stay around for a longer time. You can possibly re-sign him after his, you know, deal ends most likely. And it kind of just sets you up for the better future. Yeah. 
for, for, for people at home saying, oh, well, why won't you get KD? He's obviously the better player. He's unguardable. He could win you a chip right now. The issue is his timeline. He's 34 years old. He has a couple major injuries. Donovan Mitchell's 25. Look, he's not as good as Kevin Durant. He may never be as – I'm going to go out and say he will never be as good as Kevin Durant, but he's still a pretty damn good player. If you have Bam and him on pick and roll and as your foundation for the next five to seven years, if you acquire him, this is a team that can compete for multiple championships in the future. And look, when Jimmy Butler's contract runs out, they're always in the market for stars. They're always, they live in Miami. They play for Miami. Uh, they're an attraction. So that's why I think they should trade for the younger player. But Jason, what are your reasons why the main reasons why you think the Heat should just go out and give up the house to get Mitchell? I mean, I think you pretty much said it there. Like it just makes more sense as a team, you know, if Pat Riley wants to land one more big whale before he retires and set everybody up for the future, it just makes more sense to get the young guy who can pretty much carry your franchise for the future and not even just carry it. Like he can be that main star, take some load off Jimmy in his later years. And you can kind of contend now for pretty much the next, I would say five years for sure. And then when you come to re-signing and making a build around your team, you have two young studs with Bam and, yep. um, you know, a uh, Mitchell there to keep building for the future. Yeah. Very well said. Um, let's, Shift it to Miles Turner for a second. Uh, earlier on the podcast, uh, a couple podcasts ago, we were vouching for Miles Turner. Really wanted Miles Turner. It seemed like a realistic option because we thought Mitchell would be standing pat in Utah. Um, there's now reports that uh, Miles Turner is probably going to be on the move to the Suns, and in exchange, they're going to get DeAndre Aiden in a sign-in trade. Um, that's a bit of a bummer for the Heat. A lot of Heat fans are upset because the heat really haven't made any moves. They just resigned players that were on the team in all the depot, Caleb Martin, which was a nice piece. Dane, Dwayne Deadman's back. Um, now if this news coming out, Jason, I can, I think we can both agree that uh, plan A is definitely Mitchell. And quite frankly, I think the, the miles Turner dream and John Collins dream is pretty much over. I think the, they're out of those sweepstakes. Cause I think you're going to see some transaction on that soon. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think, yeah, definitely plan A is going to be Donovan Mitchell. And then obviously if they can get Durant for a good deal, they'll get Durant, but they're going to target everything they can right now at getting Donovan Mitchell probably. Yeah, um, it's going to be interesting, man. Um, usually when Loach tweets out something like this, usually I would say 90% of the time the player gets traded. Um, like I said, Jazz are in rebuild mode. Um, Danny Ainge is notoriously famous for just tearing it back down. He's not satisfied with being good. He wants to be great. Did it in Boston when you know, he tore it down of Kevin Garnett, uh, Paul Pierce, and uh, redrafted you know Tatum and Brown. Look how that's turned out. Obviously, he's not in Boston anymore, but it's turned out to be a finals team this year. So um, he's not satisfied with being good. And, um, yeah, look, Jazz are obviously very good at drafting. Uh, they're going to have multiple first-round picks from the Gobert trade and even more with uh, whoever they trade with. And I think, uh, honestly, I think the best package you can get out right there now is Tyler Harrell, Duncan Robinson, a couple first. Throw in Max Drews, maybe, and uh, Yurtsevin or or Jovic. I think we can both agree on that package, right? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's going to be one or the other. We just got to see, you know, what um, – I think I'll see the salary and everything works out too. But I think um, the obviously Utah is going to want a little haul like they just got from Minnesota. So they're going to ask for a good amount of players and some picks. Yeah, look, and if you're Pat Riley, you're 77, you can't let a Max Drews or – you know, a solid role player, get in the way of Mitchell. You just got to give him what he wants. Um, that's what Ainge is. He never settles. He always gets what he wants, and that's – he's going to have a high asking price. Now, let Jason, let's say that he do get uh, Donovan Mitchell. Um, look, Philly's made moves. They re-signed P.J. Tucker. Um, they obviously made a couple other moves to the Sixers. Boston got a lot better at Brogdon and uh, getting Danilo Gallinari in free agency. 
Bucks uh, signed Joe Ingles and re-signed Bobby Portis to go along with obviously the best player in the NBA and Giannis. Um, those are really the three teams in the Eastern Conference that have a legitimate shot to make the finals. And if they get Mitchell, they can obviously he can be in that conversation. But do you think if they get acquire Mitchell and they keep most of their pieces, and we talked about the trade package, you probably have to get up. You think this is a team that can compete for finals in the East? Uh, I definitely think so in the East for sure because you know it's not as obviously. I mean, it's getting better as the than it was in the past, but it's not like I feel like how tight knit the West is when it comes to every game. Like you know, kind of comes down to the you know last second of the season because <clears throat> as we saw last season. The Heat were pretty much sitting pretty at the top as we as we played well the whole season. Got up top. You have a good, nice regular season. You sit atop the East. You're gonna be, you know, pretty much good and go when it comes to the playoff time. But I definitely think a team like us will go, you know, far in the playoffs. Could definitely contend for the championship. But also, it depends on what else we get around Mitchell, Bam, and Jimmy if we do end up getting him because we will definitely need some help. I think there for him because it's gonna be a tight bench if we lose a lot of our key guys. Yeah, that's uh, very well said. Look, um, let's talk about Mitchell potentially going to the Knicks as the other team we talked about. Um, look, if the Knicks want to get Mitchell, they're going to have to put Barrett in the package. I think we can uh, agree on that. Look, they just signed Brunson. They want to counter mate with him. R.J. Barrett's a really nice player, has a lot of potential. I think he's going to be a multiple-time All-Star, but quite frankly, the Knicks are in a win-now move. What do you think it would take to get a deal done for the Knicks? I definitely got things like something like RJ Baird for sure have to be included with picks as well. And they, they're going to have to give him a haul. It looks like, cause like, it seems like this off season is going to be a, a season of people getting a lot of players for one guy. And it just seems like it's going to be a bit crazy, but I mean, the Knicks have a lot of people just sitting on the end of the bench that they end up not playing because of the way uh, Tom Thibodeau kind of uh, plays their players. It just kind of he's on that he's the coach right of the Knicks right? yeah Tom Thibodeau yeah. yeah and he just you know runs his starting five I believe to the ground every time so it just it's gonna be tough to package because they don't really have anybody that jumps out to me as you know major aside from Barrett so mm-hmm. it's gonna be kind of a tough pick for the Knicks but if they have a lot of uh, first round picks I know they can give up yeah look if I were the Knicks I would personally stand Pat I don't think Mitchell's going to get you in the finals conversation with Jalen Brunson because they would probably have to give up Emmanuel quickly RJ Barrett uh, probably another player and multiple first round picks I would say probably three first that's going to be a lot and uh, that's a lot for the Knicks they need just good players around them to get you know uh, competitive I don't think uh, a Mitchell is a guy you want to bring in that can potentially get you over the hump to get it to a finals and I, th- I just think the Knicks are so far away from that that's why I see the Heat as the favorites they have just as good as a package and quite frankly if they get Mitchell they're instant finals contenders yeah I totally agree with you on that it's like like you said the Knicks would have to mortgage pretty much everything to get Mitchell and then he would pretty much be in the same situation as a rebuild and it really really wouldn't work out for him in the long run yeah Look, Brunson and, and Mitchell are a nice combination, you know, nice team, but that's maybe a second round exit at best. So, um, yeah, man, that's uh, the, the breaking news from Woj, as we said, developing story. The Utah Jazz are are now now willing to listen to offers. Usually when there's smoke, there's fire from your Woj. So. Um, I would expect in the next couple of weeks he's out of there, or at least before the season starts. Um, Jason, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course, Robert. It's always a pleasure. Until yeah. next time. All right, man. See you. <laughs>